when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord Jesus. Stately clump back bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Daniel Levenbecker. Mr. Bloom turned over idly pages of the awful disclosures of Maria Monk, then of Aristotle's masterpiece. Crooked botched print. Plates. Infants covered in a ball in blood-red wombs like livers of slaughtered cows. Lots of them like that at this moment all over the world. All butting with their skulls to get out of it. Children born every minute somewhere. Mrs. Purefoy. He laid both books aside and glanced at the third. Tales of the Ghetto by Leopold von Sacher-Massach. That I had, he said, pushing it by. The shopman let two volumes fall on the counter. Them are two good ones, he said. Onions of his breath came across the counter out of his ruined mouth. He bent to make a bundle of the other books, hugged them against his unbuttoned waistcoat, and bore them off behind the dingy curtain. On O'Connell Bridge, many persons observed the grave deportment and gay apparel of Mr. Dennis J. McGinney, professor of dancing, etc., Mr. Bloom, alone, looked at the titles. Fair Tyrants by James Lovebirch. Know the kind, that is. Had it? Yes. He opened it. Thought so. A woman's voice behind the dingy curtain. Listen. The man. No, she wouldn't like that much. Got her at once. He read the other title. Sweets of Sin. More in her line. Let us see. He read where his finger opened. All the dollar bills her husband gave her were spent in the stores on wondrous gowns and costliest frillies. For him, for Raoul. Yes, this. Here, try. Her mouth glued on his in a luscious, voluptuous kiss, while his hands felt for the opulent curves inside her déshabillé. Yes, take this. The end. You are late, he spoke hoarsely, eyeing her with a suspicious glare. The beautiful woman threw off her sable-trimmed wrap, displaying her queenly shoulders and heaving embonpoint. An imperceptible smile played round her perfect lips as she turned to him calmly. Mr. Bloom read again. The beautiful woman. Warmth showered gently over him, cowing his flesh. Flesh yielded amid rumpled clothes, whites of eyes swooning up. His nostrils arched themselves for prey, melting breast ointments. For him, for Raoul, armpits oniony sweat, fish gluey slime, her heaving embonpoint, feel, press, crushed, sulphur dung of lions, young, young. An elderly female, no more young, left the building of the courts of chancery, king's bench, exchequer, and common pleas, having heard in the Lord Chancellor's court the case in lunacy of Potterton, in the Admiralty Division the summons, ex parte motion of the owners of the Lady Cairns versus the owners of the Bark Mona, in the Court of Appeal Reservation of Judgment in the case of Harvey versus the Ocean Accident and Guarantee Corporation. Flemmy coughs shook the air of the bookshop, 
bulging out the dingy curtains. The shopman's uncombed gray head came out in his unshaven reddened face, coughing. He raked his throat rudely, spat phlegm on the floor. He put his boot on what he had spat, wiping his soul along it, and bent, showing a raw-skinned crown, scantily haired. Mr. Bloom beheld it. Mastering his troubled breath, he said, I'll take this one. The shopman lifted eyes, bleared with old room. Sweets of sin, he said, tapping on it. That's a good one. The lackey by the door of Dylan's auction rooms shook his handbell twice again and viewed himself in the chalked mirror of the cabinet. Dilly Dedalus, listening by the curbstone, heard the beats of the bell, the cries of the auctioneer within. Four and nine, those lovely curtains. Five shillings. Cozy curtains. Selling new at two guineas. Any advance on five shillings? Going for five shillings. The lackey lifted his handbell and shook it. Barang! Bang of the last lap bell spurred the half-mile wheelmen to their sprint. J.A. Jackson, W.E. Wiley, A. Monroe, and H.T. Gahan, their stretched necks wagging, negotiated the curve by the college library. Mr. Dedalus, tugging a long mustache, came round from Williams's row. He halted near his daughter. It's time for you, she said. Stand up straight for the love of the Lord Jesus, Mr. Dedalus said. Are you trying to imitate your uncle John the cornet player, head upon shoulders? Melancholy God. Dilly shrugged her shoulders. Mr. Dedalus placed his hands on them and held them back. Stand up straight, girl, he said. You'll get curvature of the spine. Do you know what you look like? He let his head sink suddenly down and forward, hunching his shoulders and dropping his under jaw. Give it up, father, Dilly said. All the people are looking at you. Mr. Dedalus drew himself upright and tugged again at his mustache. Did you get any money? Dilly asked. Where would I get money? Mr. Dedalus said. There is no one in Dublin would lend me fourpence. You got some, Dilly said, looking in his eyes. How do you know that? Mr. Dedalus asked, his tongue in his cheek. Mr. Kernan, pleased with the order he had booked, walked boldly along James's street. I know you did, Dilly answered. Were you in the Scotch house now? I was not then, Mr. Dedalus said, smiling. Was it the little nuns taught you to be so saucy? Here. He handed her a shilling. See if you can do anything with that, he said. I suppose you got five, Dilly said. Give me more than that. Wait a while, Mr. Dedalus said threateningly. You're like the rest of them, are you? An insolent pack of little bitches since your poor mother died. But wait a while. You'll all get a short shrift and a long day from me. Low blaggardism. I'm going to get rid of you. Wouldn't care if I was stretched out stiff. He's dead. The man upstairs is dead. He left her and walked on. Dilly followed quickly and pulled his coat. Well, what is it? He said, stopping. The lackey rang his bell behind their backs. Barang! Curse your bloody blatant soul, Mr. Dedalus cried, turning on him. The lackey, aware of comment, shook the lolling clapper of his bell, but feebly. Bang! Mr. Dedalus stared at him. Watch him, he said. It's instructive. I wonder, will he allow us to talk? You got more than that, father, Dilly said. I'm going to show you a little trick, Mr. Dedalus said. I'll leave you all where Jesus left the Jews. Look, that's all I have. I got two shillings from Jack Power, and I spent tuppence for a shave for the funeral. He drew forth a handful of copper coins nervously. Can't you look for some money somewhere, Dilly said. Mr. Dedalus thought and nodded. I will, he said gravely. 
I looked all along the gutter in O'Connell Street. I'll try this one now. You're very funny, Dilly said, grinning. Here, Mr. Dedalus said, handing her two pennies. Get a glass of milk for yourself and a bun or a something. I'll be home shortly. He put the other coins in his pocket and started to walk on. The vice-regal cavalcade passed, greeted by obsequious policemen out of Parkgate. I'm sure you have another shilling, Dilly said. The lackey banged loudly. Mr. Dedalus, amid the din, walked off, murmuring to himself with a pursing, mincing mouth. The little nuns, nice little things. Oh, sure they wouldn't do anything. Oh, sure they wouldn't really. Is it little sister Monica? From the sundial towards James's gate walked Mr. Kernan, pleased with the order he had booked for Pulbrook Robertson boldly along James's street, past Shackleton's offices. Got round him all right. How do you do, Mr. Crimmins? First rate, sir. I was afraid you might be up in your other establishment in Pimlico. How are things going? Just keeping alive. Lovely weather we are having. Yes, indeed. Good for the country. Those farmers are always grumbling. I'll just take a thimbleful of your best gin, Mr. Crimmins. A small gin, sir. Yes, sir. Terrible affair, that General Slocum explosion. Terrible, terrible. A thousand casualties and heart-rending scenes. Men trampling down women and children. Most brutal thing. What did they say was the cause? Spontaneous combustion. Most scandalous revelation. Not a single lifeboat would float and the fire hose all burst. What I can't understand is how the inspectors ever allowed a boat like that. Now you are talking straight, Mr. Crimmins. You know why? Palm oil. Is that a fact? Without a doubt. Well now, look at that. In America, they say, is the land of the free. I thought we were bad here. I smiled at him. America, I said quietly, just like that. What is it? The sweepings of every country, including our own. Isn't that true? That's a fact. Graft, my dear sir. Well, of course, where there's money going, there's always someone to pick it up. Saw him looking at my frock coat. Dress does it. Nothing like a dressy appearance. Bowls them over. Hello, Simon, Father Cowley said. How are things? Hello, Bob, old man, Mr. Dedalus answered, stopping. Mr. Kernan halted and preened himself before the sloping mirror of Peter Kennedy, hairdresser. Stylish coat, beyond a doubt. Scott of Dawson Street. Well worth the half-sovereign I gave Neary for it. Never built under three guineas. Fits me down to the ground. Some Kildare Street Club toff had it, probably. John Mulligan, the manager of the Hibernian Bank, gave me a very sharp eye yesterday on Carlisle Bridge, as if he remembered me. Ahem. Must dress the character for those fellows. Knight of the road. Gentleman. And now, Mr. Crimmins, may we have the honor of your custom again, sir. The cup that cheers, but not inebriates, as the old saying has it. North Wall and Sir John Rogerson's quay, with hulls and anchor chains sailing westward, sailed by a skiff, a crumpled throwaway, rocked on the ferry wash. Elijah is coming. Mr. Kernan glanced in farewell at his image. High color, of course. Grizzled mustache. Returned Indian officer. Bravely, he bore his stumpy body forward on spatted feet, squaring his shoulders. Is that Lampert's brother over the way, Sam? What? Yes. He's as like it as dammit. No. The windscreen of that motor car in the sun there. Just a flash like that. Damn like him. Ahem. Hot spirit of juniper juice warmed his vitals and his breath. Good drop of gin, that was. His frock tails winked in bright sunshine to his fat strut. 
Down there, Emmett was hanged, drawn and quartered. Greasy black rope. Dogs licking the blood off the street when the Lord Lieutenant's wife drove by in her naughty. Let me see. Is he buried in St. Mikan's? Or no, there was a midnight burial in Glasnevin. Corpse brought in through a secret door in the wall. Dignam is there now. Went out in a puff. Well, well. Better turn down here. Make a detour. Mr. Kernan turned and walked down the slope of Watling Street by the corner of Guinness's visitor's waiting room. Outside the Dublin Distillers Company's stores, an outside car without fare or Jarvie stood. The reins nodded to the wheel. Damn dangerous thing. Some Tipperary Bostoon, endangering the lives of the citizens. Runaway horse. Dennis Breen, with his tomes, weary of having waited an hour in John Henry Menton's office, led his wife over O'Connell Bridge, bound for the office of Messrs. Collis and Ward. Mr. Kernan approached Island Street. Times of the Troubles. Must ask Ned Lambert to lend me those reminiscences of Sir Jonah Barrington. When you look back on it all now in a kind of retrospective arrangement, gaming at dailies, no card sharping then. One of those fellows got his hand nailed to the table by a dagger. Somewhere here Lord Edward Fitzgerald escaped from Major Sir Stables behind Moira House. Damn good gin that was. Fine, dashing young nobleman. Good stock, of course. That ruffian, that sham squire with his violet clothes, gave him away. Of course they were on the wrong side. They rose in dark and evil days. Fine poem, that is. Ingram. They were gentlemen. Ben Dollard does sing that ballad touchingly. Masterly rendition. At the siege of Ross did my father fall. A cavalcade in easy trot along Pembroke Quay passed, outsiders leaping, leaping in there, in their saddles, frock coats, cream sunshades. Mr. Kernan hurried forward, blowing pursily. His Excellency, too bad, just missed that by a hair. Damn it, what a pity. 